0: Hi there, welcome back to The Real Film Chronicles. This is episode 14, wherein we discuss Black Widow and The Tomorrow War.
1: As always, I'm Nathan. And my name is Brian. And yeah, we got a little bit of a double feature today because I don't think either of these movies warrant a full length discussion, right? I mean, just just to get it out on the table right away. Um, Yeah, which movie do you want to start talking about first? I think we've
0: covered a couple of DC films, so I think it's only fair that uh, we get some uh, Marvel content in here to help balance us out. Yeah. So let's start yeah, off with gonna... some uh, Black Widow content here. Yeah, that
1: sounds pretty pretty good. And I'll just throw out the spoiler warning right now. Both movies will be spoiled. Uh, we're not going to hold back in, in the least bits. Um, so there's your warning. Be warned. And Black Widow, uh, so this just came out, was it a week ago? couple weeks ago i can't even keep it straight anymore but this is the latest movie in the marvel cinematic universe this is a movie that has been long overdue because scarlett johansson playing black widow has been in so many of the marvel movies so far but has never gone her solo film and we finally get it and spoiler spoiler alert for Endgame, where we know black widow dies right so this Black Widow movie is a bit of a prequel, and I believe it takes place right after Captain America's Civil War?
0: Right after, yes.
1: Yeah. So this movie, of course, starring Scarlett Johansson, is directed by Kate Shortland. In this movie is also Florence Pugh, Rachel Wise, and David Harbour. Where do you want to start with this film? Like, What was your overall impression of this?
0: Um, Overall impression is this was... Unfortunately, as a send off for the Black Widow character, specifically Natasha Romanoff, because it looks I, I got the feeling that they were kind of setting up Florence Pugh's character to take on the mantle of Black Widow yep. as part of the Avengers. Um, but unfortunately, for Scarlett Johansson's kind of send off in the MCU, it was such a, a mediocre, kind of lackluster movie. And I mean, in general, it just felt like it was a Black Widow movie, but Black Widow wasn't even the focus of the film. Yeah. it was really kind of disappointing in in a lot of ways it was after the well, you, big hiatus because of the pandemic and to come back with i mean they had like the marvel tv shows now that are coming out once a week or whatever there's like 20 of them scheduled <laughs> i don't I don't even know anymore <laughs> but the first like the first movie since the pandemic
1: started right that's been or is is it the
0: first movie that since the pandemic from it from is marvel? and this
1: is the first movie um since the pandemic the last movie we had in the mcu uh was spider-man far from home and i think that was released in late 2019 right Uh, so we've got a full calendar year and a bit without a marvel movie and i think you kind of nailed it right there like overall as a send-off for scarlett johansson here this was kind of disappointing right it really did feel like a big a bit of a bigger advertisement for more marvel upcoming projects specifically the television series that are uh, debuting on Disney+. And it is kind of unfortunate as well because I believe this one was scheduled to be released before any of those Disney Plus shows came out. So we've had effectively three uh, Disney Plus series, WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and now Loki, come out before this one. So the, the, the order has kind of gotten a little strange. But yeah, it's just... What is what an odd the little movie film? The movie is five
0: years here. too late, essentially, right? I mean, oh yeah, they had like, all this chance, and like DC, they had Wonder Woman come out because there was a whole thing about, you know, female-led superhero movies of not making any money and all this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But like Marvel has the formula; they have the built-in audience. It was it was a no-brainer, and like Scarlett Johansson was there from the beginning. I think since Iron Man two, I think like she's yeah. been part of the MCU since the beginning, a major player and to put it off for so long. um, And then to kind of go out with a whimper like this, I I think it didn't do the character any good. It didn't do the franchise any good. Didn't do Scarlett Johansson any good. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. It was just, it felt like, like the whole movie because it brought in, it went into her, her backstory. They kept, which again, kind of takes away from the mystery of the character. The whole thing about this character was that she was, she, had a life of secrets and nobody knew her backstory so then all of a sudden we're getting her backstory and it feels almost like for that specific character it feels yeah. like almost like the wrong approach but um the whole thing about um so the the story starts off when Natasha is a young kid and she's actually part of a uh, a Russian um spy operation is essentially they sent like this mm-hmm. this family of operatives Uh, obviously the parents were operatives and the kids were used as part of the cover uh, for their family. So you had David Harbour and Rachel wise as the parents. And then um, Scarlett Johansson and Florence Pugh as their, as the, as the kid, not, not back in 1995 when the first um, (laughs) opening scene takes place, but as when they get older, but it felt like once Natasha, AKA black widow met up with her, you know, this old kind of Russian family slash fake family, all of a sudden, like, everything all the focus started to shift away from black widow and it really didn't feel like a black widow film and all of a sudden I don't know it felt like black widow kept having to be saved they kept making all this mention of oh like black widow's an avenger it's like oh we're gonna take down an avenger it's like oh we're gonna the bad guy had brainwashing technology and it's like oh we're gonna brainwash an avenger it's like we'd be on our team It's like she's constantly getting her butt kicked she's con- yeah. which is like which is okay I don't mind. Uh, that's. In one sense, it's good where you have like the, you know, you look at John McClane in Die Hard One versus you know Die Hard Four, you know, where the first one he's like yeah. he's taking down the bad guys, but he's suffering. Damn, he's a real human being, as opposed to four where he's like somehow throwing cars at helicopters. <laughs> 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 but this one it felt Amazing. like like she's supposed to be she's human. But in the other movies, it was always built up. It was like she wasn't technically a super soldier on the level of Steve Rogers. But you always get the sense that because of her training and like the Red Room yeah. program and like you got the sense like they were doing surgeries on her and stuff so like that, there was some kind of like enhancement super soldier. And then like, But then she get, gets here and she's like, she just felt, well, the character felt lackluster. Like that, even that final fight when she's facing off against a bunch of other Black Widows from the Black Widow program. It's like, oh, the first bit is like, oh yes, they're finally gonna show why she's the Avenger. And it's like, she's the best widow ever. And it's like, for a bit, she's like she's holding her own, but then she gets her butt kicked by a bunch of these yeah. nobodies.
1: Well, it was it was interesting because it's like the movie kind of presents the like the red room uh, processed uh, women as all being equally as good as Black Widow, and you kind of get the sense after watching this movie that Black Widow is not a unique person in her abilities right although she's treated uniquely throughout the the MCU and being part of the Avengers but it's literally like they all have the same fighting skill they all have the same fighting style like they're all quite equally matched and i got a sense that black widow just didn't really want to fight in this movie right like she was trying to hide from the events of the uh previous film there where she's now um like on the run from the U.S. government, like from these Sokovia Accords, I think. So she's basically in. Is that what it was? Yeah, I love how your question is like. There's so much going on now in terms of continuity.
0: Is yeah, the, well, the Sokovia Accords, or was it uh, Thanos? I don't know. Who cares? <laughs> yeah,
1: she. And at the end, she's well. At the beginning of the movie, she's literally just trying to hide, and kind of gets pulled into this stuff. And her sister is kind of pulling her in, but they kind of meet in happenstance. Black Widow, she just gets pulled into the story. I guess it kind of would have happened either way, right? I feel like it's Um, more her sister's
0: story. It was more like Yelena's story. Yelena played by Florence Pugh.
1: Yeah. No, you're right. Because uh, I think there's these vials that are the antidote to the mind control that they put all the Red Room Widows in. And so they basically need to get this anti-mind control drug and free all these people um black widow i don't think she even knows that she has this on her but she has it with her and she's like literally just going out to like get a bite to eat in in this little town (laughs) that she's hiding in and the villain taskmaster who i don't think is ever named um throughout the movie but basically this armored person comes in and like mirrors her fighting style and i'm just like okay well i don't really know much about taskmaster or this villain but we discover very quickly that Taskmaster is after that antidote, and it—they don't care about Black Widow really at all. Black Widow is just an obstacle to that. Yeah. Dog. Also, I have to mention that as soon as I
0: saw um, Olga Kurylenko's name in the credits, mm-hmm. it's like I knew she was Taskmaster then, because she wasn't—she oh, okay. wasn't any of the other characters in the marketing. And I know like she is known for like her action chops in movies. It's like, I see Olga Kirilenko's name on something. It's like, I know she's going to be, there's going to be action involved and she's going to be at the heart of it. So it like, I knew it was like, well, she's obviously taskmaster then like that's,
1: are you familiar with the, like the comic version of, of these, of this character or no. any of these characters really? So
0: taskmaster, um, only because afterwards I was reading reviews online and they said they essentially, um, Wolverine, um, origins of yeah. this character. And it's like, oh, that's interesting. So I looked it up and was like, yeah, I guess the guy's name is Tony Masters. And apparently he's known for just like Deadpool. Um, not, not quite like Deadpool, but he's known for like his quips in battle and he's known for his sharp ah, tongue. Okay. And you know, like he's got this, this attitude, I guess, from the comics and they completely stripped him of that. It's like, well, it's one thing I don't mind that they, I don't have a strong attachment to the character. I don't mind the gender bending aspect, but from everything I've, read about it it sounds like they completely stripped away all of the unique aspects of this character so now it's like it, it's like they, they kept the main ability where you know she can just look at somebody's fighting style and then just learn it just by yeah, like i can't remember crazy. what the, the actual name of it but essentially she has
1: perfect mimicry skills right which i think is an interesting juxtaposition to how we've learned about uh, steve rogers captain america hit he can adapt to anyone's fighting style very quickly, and I think a fight between Steve Rogers and Taskmaster might be kind of interesting. Except, you know, one is super powerful. Well, it was kind of crazy
0: because, like, here's this main one of the main villains, and like Black Widow had no chance ever in any fight of beating her. Like, there was, like, wasn't even like it was close. She wasn't coming up with new, um, interesting ways to fight. This is the whole thing, too. It's like, okay. She's an Avenger, right? Black Widow is an Avenger. And it's like, maybe she's like, yeah, she can fight really well. But she's also like, they mentioned the first Avengers when Tony was running through the list of like, remember Loki it was like, oh, we got like, yeah, yeah. you know, like a master spy and a master assassin. It's like, she's supposed to be a master spy. Like use your espionage skills. Like use your, you can infiltrate databases or something. You, you <laughs> Maybe you're a hacker or maybe you like you use your mask to sneak into places, right? Doing espionage stuff is like, there was no side of the character, like that side of the character didn't exist at all in the movie, right? Mm-hmm. She get she kept, everybody kept surprising her at every turn. The one time she does use the mask in the movie, the Mission Impossible mask <laughs> move, it's like she's found out immediately. It doesn't work yeah. at all. Like her one yeah. trick for espionage, which is some technology somebody else invented, she can't, just basic spycraft. It's like, I want to see her like following somebody in a car. You know, planting a wire, sitting across the street in the typical Marvel disguise of a baseball cap and just like listening on somebody's conversation, like kind of 70s spy thriller kind of stuff. I do like show her skills in another way then. Right. But there was none of that.
1: It would have been nice if the genre of the movie was a bit less of an MCU style action film and more of, like you said, a 70s spy thriller where we get to see Natasha do her thing in her element, like that, she came from this world, right? Yeah, do some yeah. sneaky spy stuff, right? I can't believe they pulled out the Mission Impossible mass. I mean, that was again, again, was, <laughs> was her one trick and it failed. That that whole end sequence was was kind of strange because he, so essentially she's meeting up with the big bad guy who is uh, Drakov, uh, played by Ray. Played by
0: yeah. Oh, sorry. I cut you off there. I was like, I'm just, I get super excited. Anytime right. I see Ray Winstone, yeah. it's like, yeah. Yeah. I love and he
1: does him. a great job in this role as well. Even though there's not a lot to it, but yeah. Um, essentially he sees right through this mask and this is her opportunity to basically kill this guy, this big bad guy. He runs the red room. He runs the whole widow program. This guy is super evil and she can't because of pheromones coming from his Another body kind of mind control yeah. thing where it's like yeah a pheromone lock yeah yeah It's it was just really that, that seemed really odd and i mean she had to break her own nose to break some nerve that would not now not allow her to smell this pheromone and then she could go ahead and kill him and which i mean she kind of fails at doing anyways uh, because she leaves that up to her sister to go kill in later on, which the whole scene was bananas. I mean, that whole end sequence was crazy. They're in a floating fortress that oh. has been secret for decades. <laughs> it's just like, it's like yeah. all right. I, I think the Avengers might have picked up on this floating fortress. I don't know. I, I got flashbacks of Age of Ultron where they're literally dropping the city from the sky. Yeah. This floating fortress is basically a city from the sky dropping to the ground And it dropped for a long time. (laughs) Ultron (laughs)
0: didn't know about it. Hydra didn't know about it. Yeah. Um, S.H.I.E.L.D. didn't know about it. Just like, this is the problem is like all the continuity, just this movie just made a lot of weird decisions that all it did was like mess up the continuity of the movie. So they, of of the MCU entirely. So like there's a floating city that nobody knew about. Yeah. Then there's, um, an army of black widows. like that would, they would have been pretty handy to have in
1: Infinity War. Because we get a whole like uh, like a view screen, like Dracov uh, of showing off, you know where his widows are, and it's like literally every city, every border on the globe is lit up, and presumably those people are still under some mind control after th- this film finishes, right? It's just like there's hundreds, if not thousands, of widows out there ready to do the bidding of whoever controls them,
0: and they had David Harbor as um, Red Guardian. Um, who's yeah. another super soldier. Um, and that was back in 1995. And then they had to like find a, So essentially it's like, he did his one mission where he was like, he was a super soldier. So they sent him undercover yeah. and he comes back and then they throw him in prison for reasons for the rest of his life. So that he, <laughs> I guess for reasons, because like the MC cause, cause Kevin Feig was like, well, like for continuity sake, we have to throw him in prison. I guess he has to be an MCU. Yeah. He has to be in uh, narrative prison for the next uh, so many years.
1: And we need a cool breakout scene, man, the breaking out from the prison. We need that scene in there. So we got to have him in prison. The Red
0: Guardian also did nothing for the plot either because they thought he had some information. He didn't have it. it. Rachel Wise had it. Um, Got to say, like, although David Harbour was on point, he was one of the high points of the movie in terms of, well, he was just given so much more to work with. He was like, he was more of the comic relief. But uh, he, he and I think Florence Pugh, really they were just given more. She was really,
1: really good in this. And I think, as you said, this was kind of more her story. And I I don't know if she's working extra hard because she knows this is leading into not possibly more television shows, but also more movies. It's like Florence was doing pretty awesome. And she had some great lines in there. I mean, I must say
0: it's kind of
1: frustrating that,
0: um, an actor, another actor of Florence Pugh's caliber, you know, after seeing her in something like midsummer, yeah. seeing what she's capable of. And now she's just going to be locked into doing mediocre superhero movies for the next 10 years. I was like, it's great for her career, right? It's a good career move, but it's like, I mean financially, but it's like just creatively. I just feel like every time I see another actor get sucked into the DCEU or the MCU, I'm just like, yeah, yeah. well, there goes some quality actors for the next 10 or 20 years because yeah. they're going to be tied in for like 20 movie contracts now. And we're never going to see them in like the really cool indie st- like indie horror, like midsummer. Yeah. All of a sudden exactly. it's like, yeah.
1: It's like the only chance, like Scarlett was still able to do a, a number of movies, but, um, she was obviously wrapped up in the, in the Marvel universe as all those other actors are. It's just,
0: I I do have to say though, the going back to David Harbor and he was, he was on points. He was really funny in this as well. But again, I think you mentioned this earlier as well. Like the tone of this film was just like, tonally, this thing was way all over the place. Right. It's like on one hand, it's like um, really serious content where like black widow had, you know, to try to assassinate Drakov the first time, he, mm-hmm. she'd waited until his daughter, who was like a, a little kid, was up with him to confirm that he was there, and she blew up this building that they were in. So it's like she, she was will, she was back then before she joined the Avengers. She was willing to kill children to accomplish her objective. It's Like this is some dark, crazy yeah, stuff. Is- and then it's this like it was undercut by humor at every turn. They talk of, again. They mention the the forced sterilization of all the widows and it's like played off in like a joke scene right they were there like trying to make Red Guardian uncomfortable and it's like this is really serious like right it's really serious content and you're just like playing off as a joke like totally didn't match at all and I was kind of surprised because this was finally directed by a woman it was a it was a female just like Wonder Woman which is kind of neat right we're getting there's more opportunities for, um, you know, women in both in front of and behind the camera. So that was really great. And I thought it was like, this is kind of, I, I didn't expect from a woman, a female led film like this, where like Scarlett Johansson's even a producer on this thing. And it's like to talk about the forced sterilization of women. And it's like played off as a joke. It just felt like, I just felt really uncomfortable the way that tonally it was handled. Not just not the subject matter itself. Cause there's a way to do that, but just like,
1: I don't know. The whole thing was undercut well, constantly okay. by the humor. And I don't know how accurate this is. Like this might be IMDb level of trivia, right? Where the script was originally written without Vat's uh, line about uh, forced sterilization, right? Whether in the uh, in the plane or the helicopter, I forget which. But it was basically originally written in as like a period joke that would probably appear in some teen comedy, right? And this Mm -hmm. basically was a result like coming up with this extra line here to like, okay, no, like how does that get to the point where they're filming the movie with that joke in it? That's, you know, this joke has no business being in a movie like this. And, And they throw a little more seriousness at it, which I think we can appreciate. I certainly appreciated some of the darker tones here. I liked that they could deepen and darken, Uh, Natasha's character a bit, you know, they do talk about killing that child a few times. It's like, oh, that is acceptable collateral damage for the greater cause, right? And it's never Um, really addressed though as
0: a thing later on. It's like, uh, there was no kind of of link at the end. It's like, oh yeah. Well, that girl survived and turned into the Taskmaster, right? Yeah, she did. But again, there wasn't like a, there's no emotional weight behind that reveal. So first of all, A, it's like, we saw the girl go up in the room. This was a flashback. We saw the girl go up in the room through the window, through Black Widow's perspective. She hits the button. The whole building explodes. Um, Drakov is fine. Ray Winstone doesn't have a scratch on him later on in the movie. But um, his daughter, when she takes off the Taskmaster um, helmet, finally, is like, she's all like burnt and scarred and stuff. It's like, so what did he, did he just have like, did he have some... Iron Man armor or was it, did he have a lead desk or something and he just ducked <laughs> behind under is like, I don't know. It didn't make any sense. Yeah, but B when well. she did that and, and did that reveal it's like, Oh, she's, she's alive. But there was like, there was so little done with that. Right. Mm-hmm. It was like, she felt the need to, to, you know, like at the end where she like uses the, the red dust to break the mind control that her father had over her is like, okay. But there was no kind of reckoning with, her past at all in any real substantial way Like there wasn't the theme wasn't carried
1: through at all. Yeah. If anything, she just became a little more soft in the moment where, okay, well I don't want to, like, she doesn't want to kill Taskmaster now because of that, that connection. But at the end of it, you know, she's not going to go completely out of her way to save everybody. Like they have to get off this thing or they're all going to die.
0: It is worth noting though, that no good guys actually die in the entire, as this, giant cities crashing and the debris all breaking up and all the freed widows, they're all fine. All the, it's only bad guys who get hit by debris. So again, though, it devolved into typical Marvel um third act faceless army and then big explosions, boom, boom yeah. crash. It was like over the top bombastic didn't fit the rest of the movie really at all. <laughs> and like the, the action scenes too. I just got to say, the, the shaky cam nonsense, whereas like <laughs> in the middle of the fights, like here's Taskmaster is like supposed to be a game in terms of fighting and I can't make out anything that's going on because there's so many cuts and the shaky cam and like they're not, it's like they're not focusing on the fight. It was like almost focused at their feet instead of their heads. It was like,
1: yeah, just hold the camera steady and let me see what the heck is going on. Yeah, I got to say I noticed this stuff more so now. In the past year so i don't feel like shaky cam or like weird action scenes really bothered me that much but now i've watched a few bruce lee films i've watched some other martial arts films and i've seen enough clips of like really good stunt work and them showing all the action like all the way through and you realize oh i'm watching a big hollywood production where the stars don't have enough time to train that in a lot of time they're cutting in and out of their, their stunt doubles. And it's just like, we can't get steady action out of these movies. Yeah. Even though this movie costs $200 million, we're still hiding a lot of the action through that shaky cam.
0: It's like, yeah, all the corridor crew stuntman react videos really just ruined us on all, all this modern action trends.
1: 100%. <laughs> yeah. No, it's absolutely but crazy.
0: <laughs> I have to say though, I was talking about the humor, right. And I'm, I know like, some people criticize the MCU humor it's like when it works, like if it's set up tonally like guardians of the guardians of the galaxy one and two mm-hmm. where that the tone is established early on and there, and it makes the jokes, it feels, they feel like in context. Right. Yeah. And like, I don't mind shaky cam. I don't mind that kind of, you know, that like gritty fighting, but it's like, there's a, there's a difference between just like using, making the camera shake. So you can't see anything and using that for a stylistic purpose. You can still use shaky cam and have it, have good action but it's like just maybe don't use shaky cam don't cut five times in the middle of a fight like let let it breathe just sit back and let it breathe it's like i don't mind a lot of these elements it's just like how they're being used in this movie out of context and maybe improperly or not maybe not improperly but not to their full effect that really kind of hinders the movie it's frustrating the thing
1: in black swan natalie portman is a master ballerina right and a lot of that movie is special effects where they put Natalie Portman's head and face onto an actual ballerina doing these moves. At this point, at this budget, why am I not getting really skilled fighters doing amazing things on screen and just put Scarlett and all these other actors' faces on those people? It's You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just like I want more out of these action scenes. And I think this was going to be a movie that would have been able to... Put that on display because we've seen uh, Black Widow do a lot of fancy, you know, hand to hand, using her whole body, the weight, the momentum, everything. And a lot of that goes out the window in this movie. Well, Whereas, like, like her appearances in Iron Man are more engaging mm-hmm. in the fighting because it's it's different from the rest of the stuff.
0: Well, you compare fighting even in the first Avengers movie and the stuff that she was doing, like the character. I mean, and like the, mm-hmm. the stunt people were doing these amazing things, and and some of the other movies in civil war and stuff where she was a lot more effective. And this one, it just seems like she forgot all that stuff. I don't know. It was just like black widow was so, it was so frustrating because it could have been great. And there were like elements you could see here and there. It's like, Oh, if they would have taken this story thread and run with it, it's like, this would have yeah. been really cool. If they would have, you know, like the whole thing was like this personal movie about black widow. If they would have taken that down. So like the last fight, it's like no music, nothing. It was like, reckoning with her past, just her fighting the taskmaster is like brutal kind of old school martial, just pure martial arts. Right. Yeah. Take it down and make some kind of emotional connection was like, you know, like maybe she does have to put taskmaster down. Right. But this time she's doing it, you know, she's not murdering somebody, you know, she's here's this person trying to do something evil. And it's like, I'm sorry, but I have to take you down this time for real, for the sake of the good of the many. And there's some kind of resolution that way. It's like a bloody, all out brawl yeah. instead of a giant, you don't have to have a giant explosion. It would have been so great to have to take this opportunity to go down something super small, mm-hmm. personal
1: two people slugging it out. You don't have to have the world collapsing around them. Yeah. yeah, that's what they do. Like it's just a special effects extravaganza at the end that just feels cheap and standard as per all of these films.
0: Yeah. And it's like, you can't, it makes it tough to follow the action because people like, it's a really cool idea where they're, they're falling through the air as this, building this giant floating city is exploding and splintering around them. It's like, yeah, it's a cool idea,
1: but it's like, does it fit a black widow movie? I don't know. Well, that's the thing. It's like, we should have had a few black widow movies. Really? (laughs) Yeah. hundred percent. There should have been a black widow trilogy. Yeah. How did you feel at the very end after this fortress crashes to the ground, all the widows are together. Everyone is safe and sound and they're like, okay, well it's time to go because the authority is coming. who is, in this case, General Ross, who is trying to track all the, you know, delinquent Avengers uh, around the globe, especially Black Widow, and they're basically gonna come and arrest Black Widow, right? Right. It didn't And all her all Black Widow's friends leave, and Scar sorry, not Scarlet, her character, Black Widow, is just like, no, no, I'm gonna stick around. Let me deal with this. We immediately cut to another scene like six months later, where two weeks. Black Widow is meeting up with uh, her like secret arms dealer supplier and has like this fancy jet. And there's no mention of any repercussions from the previous events of like what just went down or was she arrested? Did she just serve six months in jail? We have no idea. But at the end, she basically says, I'm going to go bust my other friends out of jail. Well, because the whole thing, it was two weeks later, right? She's like, it
0: was so, such a weird thing where it's like this whole thing crashes. And then like all the, all the freed, black widow operatives and the rest of her kind of fake family um yep. goes off and she's like no you guys go ahead i'm gonna stay here It's like but in the in the rest of the timeline it's like she's on the run with captain america and um vision and all those people who didn't sign the scovia corps but here it's like general ross is coming up driving up with his armada and she's just kind of standing there and it's like are they going to break the timeline or something like I don't understand and it's like it just cuts it's like it doesn't it's like how does she escape does she escape it doesn't make any kind of sense at all yeah it's like it was pretty rough yeah I don't know what happened there whether there's like they just ran out of budget for the writers it's
1: like uh do you want me to write an ending for this movie it's like no nah, nah, it's, it's fine most people won't remember the ending <laughs> they're gonna stick around for the after credits scene and remember that that's uh, essentially what a lot of these marvel movies I think I feel like have turned into is just what, what is the after credit scene? What is it teasing? Um, the after credit scene in this movie was... So um, underwhelming. It was underwhelming. It was uh, Florence Pugh, uh, her character basically uh, uh, paying condolences to Black Widow's grave. Um, and one of the uh, shady government characters from the Disney Plus series Falcon and Winter Soldier. Yeah, Valentina, by, I her name is. Yeah, uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Elaine. Yeah. Uh, Elaine makes an appearance and is just like, okay, so how would you like to go and get whoever killed uh, your sister? And it's like, oh, you know, I'm intrigued. And it's just like, yeah, you know, Hawkeye is coming out this fall type of thing. You know what I mean? And it basically pits um, Black Widow's sister here against Hawkeye in an upcoming Disney Plus TV series. And I've effectively just watched an ad for a television show instead of – it a, uh did a tease for the next Wait, movie. Is Hawkeye a TV show? It's not a movie.
0: Yeah. It's a TV show coming out just, in, a, in a month or so. Oh man, that, that's, that's got to hurt though. Black Widow gets a movie. Everybody except Hawkeye has gotten a movie so far. Oh, I guess, uh, no, even Hulk had his own movie before they recast him there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that
1: hurts. Hawkeye's the only one. <laughs> so this movie, obviously uh, part of the pandemic was delayed numerous times. Uh, It came out in theaters, but also Disney Plus streaming, same day. Uh, I know you and I watched it streaming. Yeah. Um, I can't help but wonder if I would have enjoyed the movie more if I had experienced it in the theater and, like, been fully into it. Like, do you feel that way at all? Like, do you kind of think, man, maybe this was without the theater vision, without that experience I'm seeing this movie for more of what it actually is.
0: Perhaps, although I was, kind of, I don't know, I'd be kind of worried to see those effects up on the big screen. I don't know, <laughs> like would it would that look better or worse? I don't know. It's tough to say. But uh, yeah, no, there's something to be said for the experience of being in that in that place. The lights dimmed, and you got a 50 foot screen, and you got the surround sound. Would it have felt like more of an event? Probably, but yeah. would it have? been a would it have seemed like would it have been an illusion of a better movie possibly actually yeah Mm -hmm. but maybe maybe that's a good thing maybe we a couple times we strip that illusion away and we kind of watch a movie with kind of cleaner eyes now where you just see it at home and it's like oh without that kind of magic because like I remember watching because I watched Tenet at home Mm -hmm. unfortunately I would have loved to see that on the big screen but it's like I watched Tenet even at home and I got um not to brag but a 65 inch screen Right. Well, as, as as opposed to like, you know, the fifty foot, you know, like uh Yeah, yeah <laughs> the theater screen. <laughs> but uh but watching tenants, even at home I was literally like, I was, I found myself like leaning forward almost on the edge of my seat. I felt myself engrossed. I felt like the spectacle of it wasn't lost on a smaller screen, right? It would have been amazing on a big screen to see that. But like it translated so well that I was like, I was still caught up in this whole spectacle, this giant action movie where I didn't get that same. I wasn't pulled in the same way with uh, black widow, widow. It felt um, just so, I don't know. It's, it was, it just it didn't invite you in. It was kind of impenetrable, mm-hmm. right? Or, or either that, or it was just it was just so shallow that you couldn't really go, you couldn't really dive deep on the movie, right? Unfortunately, there
1: wasn't yeah, there wasn't a huge amount of spectacle that I think I was missing from seeing it on a gigantic screen. I feel like it sort of went into those places a little bit, but it didn't fit with the tone of the film. And I think you nailed it much earlier in this recording. It was kind of tonally uneven, and I. I do wish they had taken it even more seriously, or, or made a little more traditional genre film. But this is an MCU film. Through it has a bit of that humor in it. This one is a little more mature, but ultimately falls short. Right. So
0: some some good stuff I do want to mention though. Um, again, the actors like you got Scarlett Johansson, Florence Pugh, David Harbor, uh, Rachel Wise. Who, Rachel Wise, I, I don't I don't like to harp on actors looks but like the fact that she's like in her 50s and she looks like she's in the same shape as like actors in their 30s and 20s like she fit like she, when she was in the black widow costume and i was like oh yeah like she's she looks like she's in amazing shape i just wanted to get props Wise is awesome yeah rachel we- i always like we grew up watching rachel wise and things like i the always lo- i always love her in the mummy <laughs> um you know you always have a little little Rachel wise cross, a crush on her after watching the mummy <laughs> 100%. Definitely, yeah, hundred percent. But like the actors in there, Ray Winstone, um, unfortunately, um, Olga Kirilenko, I think she said one line in the whole movie, unfortunately, which is a total yeah. waste for her. Like I, it was, I love when she shows up. She's, but, uh, yeah, but the actors were, were really great. Um, I love the fact that this was, you know, directed by a woman that got in there. It was it Kate Shortland. Yep. Um, it was, I love that they have that uh you know that they're getting more perspective and they're they're slowly but surely diversifying in front of and behind the camera. We got like a mm. MCU finally had their their first female-led um movie. Also I loved about the Taskmaster costume. Was that even though it was a female character, they didn't do something stupid and make yeah. the boob armor, right? They didn't yes. do the boob armor. It was like function it looked like actual functional armor that a man or a woman would wear in battle. So it was like I was thankful for that too. So there was and then yeah, I don't know. There were some cool beats overall. Um there was some there was some stuff to like, but overall the whole thing as soon as the whole movie started with that slowed down cover of Smells Like Teen Spirits of <laughs> uh, I was just like, oh no. <laughs> oh no! What are they doing? Why why is this happening? Yeah. Um. But yeah, I don't know. Overall, what I don't know, Brian. What do you? Uh, what rating do you give this
1: movie? Oh, so this was a very difficult rating. This was a difficult movie for me to rate. Uh, I'm just going to preface this by saying the, the average Letterbox rating right now stands at three point five. Um, I felt pretty comfortable giving it three point five, but honestly, I've I've I'm thinking more three. So this might be like a three and a quarter, 3.25, if I could rate it that way, but really probably more three. Um, I'm not, <laughs> I don't You talking yourself down here. <laughs> I know it's awful. And it's like, I hate doing it. I hate, honestly, I don't like rating these movies. And I'm I try and think about it in the greater context of the other MCU movies. I generally don't rate them very low because I do enjoy them through and through. I watch them multiple times and this one probably won't be any different. This is number 24. In the MCU universe, right? And it's just like, when I eventually rewatch it, I'll watch this one. Um, I'm probably going to enjoy it. And it's you know going to be a three and a half movie at that time. I don't know. Where do you land on your rating for this? Oh, well, so I initially
0: rated this. I was going to give it a three. But then I was like, I went back and thought about it. And I wound up giving this a two and a half out of Two and five. And a half. yeah. I was just like. Are there
1: any other MCU movies that you've rated lower than that? Is this one of the bottom tier ones? It's one of the bottom
0: tier, but for me, and like Thor: The Dark World is still, I think, the lowest rated I have. Yeah. Um, and then I know it's controversial. A lot of people disagree with me, but Iron Man Three, I would still rate lower than this. I just, I absolutely, I can't stand Iron Man Three.
1: I mean, if we stick to our tier rating instead of the actual ratings, then like all of those movies you mentioned are, and including this one, are bottom tier MCU films, I guess.
0: Yeah, it's not, this is not a game changer in the superhero genre. It's not, even in the, even in the context of the MCU, it feels like they're kind of like drifting a little bit, like, because they were built, like, phase three felt, all the movies felt so focused because they were building up to that final confrontation. Even like, even phase, by phase two, they were pretty focused that like they were building towards something, right? Um, like they had like the Ultron build up well, not not really a build up, but they they were building up the characters to to face bigger threats. But in phase three, everything felt so much more on point. It felt so much more focused. And now that they moved past Endgame, and it just feels like they're struggling to find their footing. It feels like they really kind of jumped the shark in terms of like Thanos, um, you know disappearing half of all life in the universe. And then all that life coming back humanity finding out there's like, Oh yeah, there's like other alien worlds that exist. It feels like that's like the end of the, like, I don't know where you can go. And it feels like the writers really don't know where they can go anymore either. Like homecoming, Spider-Man homecoming, not Spider-Man homecoming, Spider-Man far from home. How that same kind of thing it's like, it was overshadowed by the events of end game. It was even Spider-Man. The character was overshadowed by the legacy of Tony Stark mm-hmm. slash Iron Man. Um, it just feels like they're, they really lost their footing and lost their kind of sense of direction or purpose here in phase four. Yeah.
1: It's like, they kind of played a little safer here and just did a prequel movie um, just so they didn't have to touch upon those events in Endgame. game where I think some people were maybe expecting, Oh, Scarlett Johansson might come back into the series as like a variant or from a different timeline or, or whatever. Right. Kind of like in kind of like Gamora. At the end of Endgame, we have a gamora back in the mcu and so you're thinking maybe they'll do that same thing with black widow but no it's like they really wanted to stay away from that they didn't want to bridge that gap from the end of phase three into a new series here um so we got this kind of strange origin movie and i would like more origin movies and stuff like that like th- this could be interesting but in the greater context it, it feels a little off and a hundred percent you said it earlier Five years too late. I think this would have been stellar to see five years ago, um, and I'll just blame Disney executives uh, for not allowing them to make movies like this, female-led movies, earlier on. It's just it's a, it's a crime. I mean, listen, I'm I'm glad that they're giving
0: women the chance. Like, I don't mind that it's a mediocre movie. It's like men have been making mediocre movies for years and still going on to do. They've been given a pass. It's like I'm not I'm not. St- you know, I think it's good that they're allowing, giving women more chances, more chances to fail, right? Because like, the more you fail, like, we always talk about failure being the biggest teacher. But it's like, let give women those chances to fail and not have their whole career depend upon. It's like oh, they can fail this time, but it's like, oh, then they go on to do another movie that's better the next time, right? So it's like, I think that's in a, in a weird way. It sounds like a backhanded compliment, but in a weird, but it's not really. It's like, it, you know, like people should have that chance, same chance, whether you're a man or mm-hmm. woman. You know, give them the big projects. And it's like, if it fails, it's not the end of the world. It's not the end of their careers. They can go on and keep doing other things, right? So it's it's a good step forward, I think.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. So maybe more significant than the rating we give this movie is the question, are you buying this movie for your physical media collection? <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: This is... Well, this one's kind of a trick question because... Um, <laughs> it's part of the, I've, I've been collecting superhero movies, right? The MCU movies. <laughs> yeah. So like when it comes on sale, like, yeah, I'm going to pick it. I'm not going to wait for like some kind of special this is not edition. not a
1: full price purchase.
0: Not a full price. I'm not going for the steel book or anything like that. If it comes down when it, when it hits $10 in the bargain bin.
1: That, that's fair. Like I own, I went out of my way and I bought all the MC movies in their steel book form. You know, I got 22 or 23 of them sitting on my shelf and they've it's nice having that and my desire to buy more of them right now is kind of pretty low and i think this one i will definitely be buying uh, to add to that collection but yeah i don't really feel like dishing out full price on. i'll this put thing. it this way i'm buying it
0: only for the completionist in me i'm not yeah. buying it because it's a i'll buy it because to complete my mcu collection but i'm not buying because it it's a great film if you don't yeah, if you have other if you have other movies you want to buy instead, is like go spend your money somewhere else.
1: Hundred <laughs> percent. Beautiful. So basically, I feel like we have we basically have an episode right there. Oddly enough, <laughs> at about forty minutes in. Not bad. But we did say we would talk about the Tomorrow War as well, right? Um, Do we want to start talking about this movie? We can, yeah. Yeah, I don't see why not. Tomorrow War, um, another twenty twenty one film. This one directed by Chris McKay, starring none other than Chris Pratt, Yvonne Strakowski.
0: Yvonne Strakowski.
1: And J.K. Simmons. Um, basically, this movie came out on Amazon Prime a few weeks ago. Uh, I don't know what other context to give. The the overview on this movie from Letterboxd is quite short. Um, and I'll just, I'll just read it now. An ordinary family man named Dan Forrester is recruited by time travelers from 30 years in the future to fight in a deadly war against aliens. And I'll just say this movie was marketed to the nines. Like I didn't go anywhere without seeing an ad for this film. Oh my goodness. And I love the concept of that. I love that there's a future war and we have to go recruit more people from the past. It was just like, I was heavily intrigued. I was eager to watch this movie. I was excited for
0: it. It was an interesting concept. I was like, yeah, got me intrigued. But the moment I started thinking about the concept, it yeah. fell apart immediately, <laughs> much like the rest of the films. Like as soon as you start to think about any aspect of the film, it almost immediately falls apart in terms of, of logic, logical sense, narrative yeah. sense, character sense. Um, yeah, I get. I guess kind of previewing my, my overall <laughs> yeah. impressions of the film. But it's like, interesting concept, but... Um, I think I did. I tweet this out, but like essentially I said, it's like, it's like nobody in the writer's room or none of the characters in this movie seem to have ever watched a time travel movie in their lives.
1: Like and that's the thing is time travel movies. We've talked about it before on the podcast. They can be difficult to pull off. There's a lot of things you can and pick apart about time travel movies. And it, it's like, it's so important that the movie sets up the rules of its own universe. And quite often it's really difficult for them to maintain those rules throughout the runtime of the film. And the tomorrow war is no different where things kind of do fall apart in very odd ways throughout the film, uh, to basically land flat. Like this was a, this was kind of a poor movie. Well, so I went into the
0: tomorrow war and I think, Marvel has kind of ha- hardwired my brain or program me to think of like Chris Pratt and associating with action comedy. Yeah. But like this wasn't a comedy at all. It was just straight action. And so it was like, it took me a couple. It took itself quite seriously. It took a little bit to adjust because I'm used to like Chris Pratt cracking a lot more jokes and being in like a lot more comedic aspects. It's like this was just straight action slash drama. And so I was like, that's not a fault of the movie. It's not a fault of Chris Pratt. That's a fault of, I guess, me kind of having to mentally recalibrate after associating him so much with like star Lord and and some of these other characters, right?
1: Yeah. I I mean, that's pretty fair. And I mean, Chris Pratt usually plays comedy a lot more in whatever he is in. Um, So maybe that's how we see him. I mean, that's how popular culture sees him right now. And he's not really the one cracking jokes in this film. There's some other comic relief that comes in and out of the film randomly. Uh, As as part of the issue of this movie, but um, yeah, this was weird. Like Like, Structurally, it felt like almost like a couple different movies
0: slapped together. Like the whole last act felt like we have an idea for a sequel, but we don't know if we're going to get a chance to make that sequel. So we're just going to slap it on the end of the movie. Yeah. The whole thing, like this narrative shifts is just like. Yeah, it felt like almost it felt like almost Frankenstein like it was stitched or it felt like almost a couple scripts that were kind of stitched together almost in
1: different pieces like it was really weird. So I'll try and like sort of go through the plot here. Good luck. Um I know good <laughs> luck, right? But it's like obviously spoiler alert. We we've, we've we've warned you a couple times already, I think. But yeah, Chris Pratt's character, Dan, a uh, family man, he has a young daughter, maybe 8, 9 years old. Nine nine years old and his wife um they basically are having a birthday party over the news is these soldiers appearing in a soccer match which i thought was kind of interesting that the this american family was watching soccer of all things and not like a football match um <laughs> technically it's football <laughs> yeah technically right yeah it was a, it was an interesting thing it must have been somebody's favorite sport uh, producing this film um But yeah, basically these soldiers appear out of a portal in the middle of the soccer match and say, yeah, you know, we're from the future and we need your help. Uh, Fast forward a a few months and basically uh, they are now conscripting people from the past, like the present day, like 2021 or 2022, I think is the current year of the movie. And they have to go fight for a week. That's one tour of duty is one week in the future and there's the survival rate is like 20, 30%, maybe yeah, Only 20% of people come back. And of course, obviously, Chris Pratt is going to get uh, forcibly involved in this. They they conscript him and sorry, draft him. But drafting is the word I'm actually looking for. Uh, he gets drafted into it. Conscription and Of course. Yeah. Everyone is basically drafted into this. So he has to leave his family. And I guess for some context, he was part of the military before. It's not entirely clear what his role is, or at least I don't remember what it is. I don't think it's important. Um, on the very first day of basic training, like the boot camp, uh, there's some emergency in the future, and they have to go to the future of that day. Um, they end up being sent to the wrong spot in the future, <laughs> which is a really horrific scene, I think. Oh my which The movie actually opens up on... All these people falling from the sky. It was
0: such a weird open. It was such a weird decision to open up on this random scene in the movie and then go back in time until it catches up with that scene. It's like it didn't work at all in this case. So strange.
1: And so now the movie's caught up to that intro scene. Of course, Chris Pratt and all the people who have had speaking lines so far land in a skyscraper-like pool. Uh, So they're safe and they have to get down to the science building to get something like the science team uh, and pull them out. And meanwhile, they have no idea really what they're fighting. They're fighting some aliens, but no one will tell them what these aliens look like, their abilities, nothing. They're just giving civilians in civilian clothes, uh, machine guns and say, all right, go do this thing. Of course, casualties will be high. And there's a race against the clock because they're going to just bomb the city regardless. Fine. And so he ends up, you know, some action scene, people die he ends up at a uh, military base and the woman in charge ends up being his daughter from the past, right? So that's his daughter and he's like, oh my goodness, this is Yvonne here who is fantastic. I love seeing this, this woman in, and it, in yeah, different Yeah, get uh, to see Miranda Lawson right <laughs> in the <It's> flesh. <laughs> so they basically set out to get capture the queen of this alien uh, species. They capture her, bring her back and they are trying to create like a virus from the queen so that they could inject it to into all the other aliens and basically just kill them that way. Um, after, you know, sometime some computer is figuring this out because everyone's just watching the computer screen. Chris Pratt is sent back in time with the, the, the antidote, the, this virus that kills them and nobody believes them. It's just like this, the movie really falls apart for me here. And last since hour, nobody yeah. seems to care that he has this virus and they, det- well, sorry, they haven't determined where the aliens come from yet, it's his wife who figures out, hey, what if the aliens were always here? Oh my goodness, because they appeared in Russia, right? But there's no record of a ship or anything. So it turns out, yes, they go over to Russia. The alien ship is frozen in ice and they could go in there. And so 30 years later, Climate change allows the ice to freeze, and that's where the aliens come from in the future, right? Yeah, random environmental Um, message that goes nowhere. Yeah, exactly. So they start injecting the aliens with this virus because they produce some more of it. And, of course, all hell breaks loose. The aliens escape. The queen escapes. And they end up just blowing up the entire alien ship with, like, C4, taking care of all the aliens except for the queen, which they have hand-to-hand combat with to defeat. Amazing. And that's basically the end of the film. It's just, boom, they save the day.
0: Yeah, like from the get go, like nothing in this film really makes sense. They don't spend, they have all these different concepts and they don't spend any time developing it, right? Like time travelers come back from the future and start like work with the governments of the world to, you know, initiate this kind of essentially temporal draft where they're taking people from the past and bring them to the future. And it's like, people seem kind of a little bit shocked, but it's like, Time travel exists. People are coming back from the future. And it's like, it just kind of glossed over. And then it's like, then they figure out, it's like, oh, they're only sending people in the, they look around and it's like, oh, we're all like of a certain age here, right? We're all like in our forties or above. And it's like, oh yeah, they, they know, they have, they have detailed records. They, they know when people die. So it's like, they're only taking people who they know are already dead in the future, theoretically. So it's not to cause any kind of temporal loops where you're meeting yourself and kind of some kind of um, temporal paradox. But then again, like, that's never touched on again. Like, like the consequences of, of time travel and potentially creating these temporal paradoxes. I'm just like, okay. Because as soon as you take somebody to the timeline, there's a change there, right? So it's like, some of these people in the future who are their children, obviously, because um, Muri is his, his daughter in the future, his grown daughter. It's like, if they took him to the timeline and he goes to the future... I guess she's already born, but like
1: there's other people who might not be born yet. I don't know, man. It's just like, they don't touch on it at all. Part of the thing like Miri is, yeah, as you said, Miri is his daughter and she basically tells him what happened after he left. Yeah. He he came back in the original timeline and his, her parents got divorced and he's just like, I would never leave you. And it's like, well you did. And so now he knows that future. He could probably avoid that future, thereby changing her character drastically. Duck Brown would not be happy with that. Right. And it's like, they do gloss over the time travel stuff. They do sort of set up the rule. They talk about two rowboats on one stream. Uh, and basically these boats are moving in unison, like at the same speed. And you can only jump between the two boats. Right. Uh, so you can't move the boat into a different time. Because apparently it's like, because they're in the middle of a war, they don't have time to fine tune the technology.
0: So they can literally, they, they were able to open like a wormhole back to this specific point. So like in the future, time is still moving the same rate and the past time is still moving at the same rate. So like they can't jump to different points. It's like they kind of hand wave that away, but
1: it's absolutely brutal because the, the governments accept that there's a future war and they're allowing their citizens to get drafted and sending them off to basically be killed. And when he comes back with the solution to the alien problem, there's one government guy who like, doesn't want to spend the money on it. <laughs> when I was sitting there watching their
0: explanation, I was like, okay, so you know that on this date, these aliens start attacking. I was like, well, why don't you, why don't you just start sending all your troops back or like letting us know, give us all your data so that we can start like, let's set up a perimeter around that. You know, exactly geographically where There's they come from. There's a few ways to resolve. Send thing. your armies back, have them stick around for a bit, start training us on what you know, or maybe just like, just send back your information have us start working together. It was like, cause they, they established later on in the film. It's like, no, like the future is, toast right like humanity will be extinct within a couple of weeks essentially if the fight keeps going the way it does and it does and but but, but chris pratt's character who's supposed to be like this a plus scientist he was in the military before now he's a high school teacher it's showing he was trying to get like a job at a major like aerospace company or something he was he felt he was wasting his life as a high school teacher is like this as a nice nod to high school teachers that's it's always nice to yeah fair enough. to show that your profession is a, wa- a waste of people's lives but anyway <laughs> He's supposed to be a really smart guy, but it's like this idea of causality that's so often, you know, like prime a primary consideration when you look at other time travel films, like it doesn't cross his mind at all. It doesn't cross his mind in the fact that it's like, oh, it's like, well, we just developed this. When they get finally get the anti-venom or whatever, or the venom or the poison that'll kill both the queens and the, and the worker, um, I guess they're called white spikes, but these aliens, it's like, okay we just have to stay alive until you jump back. Cause it's a pre-programmed thing on his, this crazy wrist watch dial thing. But then at the end of the near the end, we're like his, his grown daughter is wounded and she falls off this, this, this platform. She's falling down such as a big giant swarm of these aliens are going to tear her limb for limb. And he has the one solution that could help end this war before it starts the vial. Yeah. And what does he do? He jumps after her like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> through the air, it's like it looked like a really cool shot, but it's like, oh yeah, it was all slow motion. Saving his daughter, or saving literally the entire species, entire human species, and it's like none of that crosses the brain his brain at including his all. daughter, including his daughter. It would have saved. I his mean, daughter, I mean, he's too.
1: lost his future daughter, who he doesn't really know, but he has a chance to save his nine-year-old daughter, who will grow up into that present. future daughter. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> like that's the things. Like no, the writers didn't think about this. The characters aren't thinking about any of this. And it's like even like at the end, it's like, oh yeah, we could take this poison back. And it's like, well, they got to the ship where they it was frozen and it was like ancient alien theories. Like, yeah, this ship crashed millions of years ago, it was frozen in ice. It's like, okay, we'll take the poison, and go in the ship. It's like you have see, C- you know that just a brute force will kill these things. It's like, why risk waking them up? Why do not just go in there, plan all the C4, go out, blow this thing up remotely? It's like then you're, then you're sure. Well,
1: 100%. And like you said, they the future people could have just told them, yeah, they came, the aliens came out of Russia, like northern Russia somewhere. It's like, okay, well, maybe we should just start looking, looking around what's going on in northern Russia, maybe. Yeah. And it's just like, we have to explore all our options. You can't tell me that governments, they literally say they send all their militaries to the future. They're all dead. There's no military in this current world, though. And... The governments are, start, are starting to fight, but it's like you—you you would think they would have just le- at least explore. Yeah, all their you think that, like
0: the CIA or Russian intelligence aren't scouring the earth looking for evidence of this thing? It's like okay, or like launching—you know—amping up funding for their space programs so they can so they're you know like trying to find this thing and set up like some kind of Star Wars defense system. It's like none of none of that stuff is like it would have major philosophical social, political ramifications that nobody seems to care
1: about at all. And I can understand them not really exploring those things because, you know, I'm thinking about Greenland where the movie is told from this family's perspective specifically and we don't get involved in, like, the grander scheme. But you know that stuff is going on. This one, they sort of, they don't really adhere to that. Like, the the perspective uh, changes and... You know, like it needs to change. It needs to do something yeah. more here. At least in Greenland, the government's decisions were, there was a logic behind
0: them, right? It was like, yeah. we we know about the asteroid coming. It was like, no, we're going to, we're building like the US government and obviously other world governments are building secret bunkers and building supplies and like, you know, like, you know, going through um, their individual countries and finding people that they need with specific skill sets to help rebuild afterwards. Like there was a logic to that. The governments in this one is like, there's no logic at all. It's like some people come from, Emerge from this portal. It's like, first of all, you haven't verified that they're even human. It's not, like you don't know what their motives are, right? You don't, you don't know if they're telling the truth or not. It's like, oh yeah, we're just going to send all our people into the future, and it's like create this weird kind of causality paradox by doing this. And there's no thought to this at all. Like, well, yeah, I'm sure, like, yeah, China and Russia are just going to go along with that. No, no problems asked, right? Like the ever, like all of Europe
1: is like, oh yeah, we're just going to yeah. do that. It's like no problem. They really don't do anything to like increase the image. It, this is entirely an American film oh, yeah. and only the American perspective. It's like, Oh, the Russians will not work with us to try and find this stuff. Like the other governments, you know, tensions are high. It's just like, we need to work together, but they don't yeah. show the other governments, you don't the think other like countries at all.
0: We know for a fact that time travel exists. You don't think that all of a sudden every single government in the world isn't amping up their time travel research yeah. right now. Like you don't think there's spies cuz like the future people come in the settlement facilities to help send people in the future is like there's espionage there, there's Russian Chinese American English spies all over these facilities looking trying to steal that tech. It's like you you got to know that, right? You have to know that.
1: Man, this movie was was bananas. And I I want to just talk about the the alien creatures here cuz they are pretty well designed. I think they look good on oh, screen. Man. The aliens uh, they're are scary. horrific. They are frightening. Yeah. And they are so unstoppable. Well, I shouldn't say so unstoppable. <laughs> they're they're quite unstoppable in the future. In the present day, when they're fighting them, you can literally fist fight one of these things and, and stand a pretty good chance at winning against them.
0: Oh, man. Like, in the future, the females... So, in the species, like, the females are, like, the kind of alphas, and they're, like, the bigger, stronger versions. Like, the future it took, like, a team of, like, 20 people to capture one of these things. Yeah. And they, they, and they lost, like, half of those people who died... Trying to capture it. In the past, there's like Chris Pratt and J.K. Simmons. (laughs) Essentially, at one point, they have guns and stuff and they're shooting this thing. Essentially, like you said, it comes down to like a fist fight where Chris Pratt is literally punching this thing in the face. (laughs) And it's like, this thing, it's got these claws and these teeth. It can literally, it has these spikes. It'll whip its tail around and like shoot these spikes out to get you a distance. None of that matters all of a sudden. It's like, before it took like 10 men or 10 people just to subdue this thing. So he just punched it in the face and sent it back.
1: He's he's Chris Pratt though I guess that works. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I mean I would have appreciated at that point if in the future they were like injecting their soldier with super soldier serum or something to, to boost their strength and he comes back to the present and oh my goodness now he's a super soldier and he can literally take on you know yeah. a like granted the white spike in the past they don't know what humans are yet right? This is their first exposure to them is and if they face Chris Pratt with like super strength, oh my goodness, maybe yeah, this is a fight. We don't know how to fight these things, but in the future, the White Spikes, they know about humans, they know what their weaknesses. It's literally no problem in dispatching. Like you're
0: saying, I'm really surprised because like they literally implant everybody with this like this um almost this wrist wrist brace yeah, thing Yeah, it's here. like
1: a wrist computer that has like a time travel device, but it's, it's like a Pip-Boy from Fallout.
0: Yeah, exactly, but it's like that's borderline cybernetics here. It's like, are they developing other cybernetic enhancements? Like, no, not really. Not at all. They're, they they spent it all on time. I guess they spent their entire budget on time travel. It's like, can we, can we get some cybernetic enhancements for our soldiers? Like now we don't do that here, but, but you, you have time travel. It's like, yeah, you can do anything. You put a man on the moon and now we can travel back in time. It was like, yeah, no, no cybernetic enhancements for you. Super soldier serum. Nah, I think we're good.
1: I think it's a very difficult sell when you, you have the future 30 years from now and they are like under stress and it's time sensitive, right? And that's a very difficult sell in any time travel movie because in our mind, well, you know, well, let's just wait five years to like boost up our armies, get all their cybernetic implants going, and then send them. But I mean, they there's one line in the movie that describes time travel. And they're saying, we just can't do that. Right. Yeah, we just have to accept well, that. Like, and if you're writing the movie, it would have made more sense. It's like,
0: well, maybe that time travel link is linked to the day that they, these aliens arrive or that they, they attack. Mm-hmm. So like you have soldiers coming back from the future, you know, at the, so the, to try and fight this war and stop that war before it starts. Right. So it's like, th- then you're like conscripting people, but they're in their still in their own time. But you have future aspects. It's like, I don't know. It was just a weird, it's like the least imaginative way to use time travel ever. It's like, let's go back and recruit some soldiers. And like, they're not even recruiting. They're not even training them. Well, they were, they train people for like at max seven days. Yeah. And it's like, you see these people like Chris Pratt happens to have had military training. He was in the military before, before he, you know, went into civilian life. It was like, these people, like some of them never held a gun before. They don't know how to load ammunition. They don't know how the safety works. They don't know. They're just sending them in the future to be cannon fodder. It doesn't make any sense. They won't tell them about the enemy that they're facing. They won't give them any intel. It's like, um, in the future, they find out it's like, oh yeah, their only weak point is like on their belly and their neck. It's like <laughs> that's that you think that'd be pretty useful information. That should be
1: day one information.
0: To know and it's like, oh, and they explain it's like, oh, if we if we showed you what you were facing, you people would be too scared to to go in the future. It's like you're literally drafting us and forcing us to go. Like yeah. nobody's choosing that. Well, a couple people choose. But like yeah. most people aren't choosing this. It's like None of it made. Well, that's the thing; they're all drafted
1: sense. exactly as you said it, it. doesn't make sense. It's like at least they don't even show them a picture of what they're fighting. No. But that doesn't stop them because, like Chris Pratt, wants to get out of this thing, and he starts, you know, kind of taking apart this armband. And it's just like, well, if you do this, they're going to like throw your your wife in jail. They're going to separate your wife from your daughter. And it's like this is going to be serious. There's many more things to scare people from not going on this thing like the 80 percent mortality rate that happens the there, there's a couple scenes where uh chris pratt's wife is like leading uh therapy sessions for people who did make it back for the future and it's like they all have extreme like ptsd like they are this society is not going to be able to function properly after this war <laughs> they have they have the next 30 years to think about it. It's just just crazy. And that's the thing. So I guess with the war 30 years from now and, and time travel working as it is, they don't really expect to resolve the war, do they? Like the war is going to happen one way or another. Well, because I think the war actually happens,
0: like the aliens attack, I think, three years before they're able to implement this time travel technology, right? So literally like the present, quote unquote, present day, has essentially 27 years to come up with a plan to face this enemy yeah. before. So it's like, I don't know whether it's like essentially it's just like other alternate timelines. Because like, as soon as you go back and tell people that the aliens are coming, it's like, well, obviously we're going to start preparing and like, we're going to be prepared when they attack. So like your whole time travel thing wouldn't have happened. So like, yeah. it must be every time they go back, it creates a new timeline or, I don't even know how it works, man. It
1: doesn't and it's not really like worth fully investigating either. Like this is not like uh yeah, it's just this movie is weird. Um, I don't know if we have anything else to say about this, but it just felt uh,
0: like another kind of generic action script. I think what did I watch? Did I watch this on Amazon Prime? Is that where it was released?
1: Yeah, this is Amazon Prime. So a bit Uh of history there. This was a Paramount movie. Paramount made this. The budget is reportedly at 200 million dollars. Oh my goodness! Uh, it was originally scheduled for theatrical release, and with the pandemic, and Paramount did not have their own streaming service yet, so they are, they basically offload this film, sold it to Amazon for 200 million dollars, reportedly, and that's how it became an Amazon Prime movie. Um, and I think that's where all the advertising comes from—is uh, is Amazon. This is a fairly lengthy movie as well, 138 minutes, uh, a little longer than you would think. Oh, it
0: felt every minute of its time too. Like it was, it was by the end, like after, after Chris Pratt comes back from the, the Tomorrow War, that, that whole ending sequence where he goes back to his dad, JK Simmons, where they were estranged because like in the future, he was estranged from his daughter and he learned a valuable lesson about family or something. I don't know. But like the whole ending sequence where they go to Russia and hunt these things down, that felt so tacked on.
1: Like it did not flow at yeah. all. Yeah. I guess with that, like I hate to even ask what your rating of this film is. Well, what do you give it out of five stars?
0: Oh my goodness. Um, I might be talking myself down here, but I initially gave this thing two and a half stars. Um, it felt like for all that time, it was a perfectly generic action movie. Like the special effects were really good. Again, like the actors were, were great. Um, and it was, it was serviceable. Um, I might go down as low as two stars. I keep talking to myself lower and lower. Initially I was like, <laughs> oh three. It's like, no, two and a half. It's like maybe maybe two, two and a half. It's it's okay. It's not like the worst thing to ever happen in, in terms of cinema, but it's like it's it's got diminishing returns. I think every time you watch this, you're gonna get less and less out of it.
1: Yeah, I I can see that so for me, I mean, some context. I watched this on a, a recent uh, visit with my parents, and it was kind of like a nice, safe movie that everyone was looking forward to. And I, yeah, as watching this, I, I was recognizing a few of the things that were problemsome. But you know, just like the flow of time, I was just letting this movie wash over me <laughs> as it was, and it's just like I can accept that we ha- we ended in a fist fight with a white spike, and it's just like this is a b movie that with a lower budget i would have been applauding their ambition uh but with this budget it's so polished the special effects are great there's some a-list actors in here and with that it's like the expectation for this to make sense and be a good movie is much higher than it would be if it if this was a 50 million dollar production and they tried to make the same thing i think i would have appreciated that more than this big budget thing um I'll be honest, upon first reaction, I gave this thing three stars. Uh, Maybe that was part of the experience, just enjoying visiting with my family again after so many months of not seeing them. Happy to watch a movie. We always watch movies together. Uh, That kind of elevates the film a little bit. And while we're sitting here talking, I really have nothing very positive to say about this other than uh, repeating what you said. It's a pretty serviceable action film. I think if I saw this in the theater... Be like, great! I had some delicious popcorn. I had nice cold soda. You know, the sound was loud. Everything was was just fun to watch. And oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to get hung up on all the little time travel weird uh, explosions go boom. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's like I wouldn't get hung up with these. Like it was
0: so glaring to me. It's like initially I rated it three, and I dropped it down to two point five. I might drop it down lower next time. It's like two, I can't. It was just so all those things. Like. I tried not to think about it, but they kept, it kept nagging at me. Every, every scene would just add another logical inconsistency. And I was just like, I haven't even processed the last inconsistency yet. And you're trying to, it, it was just so much bombast. It was, yeah, it was a movie in the theater. It'd be tons of fun. There's tons of explosions,
1: it's tons of action. It'd be kind of cool, but yeah, I don't know. It was just. Not a movie that I'm going to revisit. Honestly, like I probably won't, I'm not going to watch this movie. I'm not going to be purchasing this movie for my movie collection. Probably. Uh, not. It's, it's, I'm, I'll probably drop it down to two and a half stars after this conversation. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll just forget about the film. It's just, it is one of those things. Like it, it, this is a theater film where you watch it, you experience it, and then you just leave it at the past.
0: The movie does, it reeks of studio interference. Um, the kind of narrative decisions, it just felt so kind of sanitized and very safe. And it felt like this was a movie that was run by like, they must've run this through several committees. Um, It just felt like there wasn't like a unique kind of dominant voice in this thing. And to the movie's detriment, I think.
1: Um, Do you think they set it up in any way for possible, sequels or even prequels like we're going to get more uh, tomorrow war
0: i'm hoping i'm wrong but i i think i remember hearing somewhere that they already had a sequel idea lined up
1: oh my goodness i mean it it would it would make sense it's just like oh well maybe this alien race there's because i think there's something in here about these aliens were just being transported past earth like it was never meant for earth it was kind of ambiguous but they're, they're not intelligent creatures not intelligent enough
0: to uh, they, they were almost like more in terms of their social structure, more insect like where they had a yes, you know, alphas and betas where like, they were queen and kind of almost like a hive mind.
1: They were just like a tool that was unleashed on populations.
0: Yeah, so it wasn't clear whether so they there were some other like um remains of some other aliens piloting this ship and they and they were kind of speculating a little bit. And it's like again, it's like the implications of this are huge, but they don't spend any time on it. But it's like, were they just transporting this and they happened to crash on Earth? Or were these other aliens using the white spikes as weapons to conquer worlds, right? Where they just like unleash the white spikes on a population that they'd devastate the earth and then they, or devastate that planet. And then they would come in and clean up the white spikes afterwards and then take over that planet. They're not like, they're not sure whether it was an an accident or intentional or half six of one, half a dozen of the other, but um, yeah, so there's other things to explore within this you. I guess they're, everyone's always looking to create a new universe right? now, right? I it's think always a new universe. I think with, um, what was that one? With Zack Snyder. We, we talked about, um, the dead.
1: Oh, the army of the Dead. army yeah. of the
0: Dead. <laughs> Blanket army of the dead. So I think they're making like, there's a prequel movie and I think they have like, uh, the coming up with maybe a TV show or like comic books, graphic novels, or another, maybe a sequel movie as well, but they're planning a whole, universe in this. And it's like, I think that's just the mindset of, of Hollywood these days where they want to create a universe. They, it, it's not about telling a good story this time. It's about, Oh, this is setting up. It's gonna be like half a, half a movie and then half of a commercial for the next
1: movie kind of thing. This is the, the corporate business side, the, the motivations behind these films at this point.
0: Yeah. That, that's where I, I said before, I, I kind of get the feeling that this was, this was a movie that just reeks of kind of corporate, interference studio interference and, and, and just like movie by committee it was like, felt like the script was written by committee. It felt like, Oh, we have to have this beat here and, and this beat there. And it falls all the emotional stuff falls completely flat. I think. But anyway, any, any final thoughts? What have we, what have we learned today, Brian?
1: I don't think we've learned anything. I feel like we've learned <laughs> that these movies are basically a product of this corporate Hollywood pushing more products at us yeah i think we're gonna need a palate cleanser on our next episode of
0: doing some really some kind of like more kind of maybe indie film just something with a little bit more substance just to kind of just to kind of palate cleanse but yeah like there's you know i don't mind a good big bombastic corporate action film every now and then but too much of a too much of a good thing or too much of a thing is just going to be bad no matter what i think
1: so you don't want to talk about a quiet place part two next week (laughs) Uh, I barely wanted to talk about the first one. (laughs) And that's a wrap on another episode of The Real Film Chronicles. Thank you so much for listening and hanging out with us today. We're having a great time putting these together and love sharing these episodes with you. We can be found on a few platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, and Letterboxd, all of which are linked in the show notes. You can also reach us by email, and of course, you can find our website at realfilmchronicles.com. Until next time, take care of yourselves and others, and keep that film journey going.